All right, so if you guys have your Bibles, please open them up. Go to the book of First Corinthians and go to chapter 2, could you? By the way, at the end of service today, as you can see up here to your right, to my left, we have the communion elements. So this being the first Sunday of the month, as we kick off February, we're going to participate in communion with one another. Communion, isn't that, communion doesn't get you saved, but it's for the saved, amen? So it'd be up to you, but we like to have that time together uh, with the church family every first Sunday of the month. So we'll be able to do that together as a church family at the end of our Bible study time. All right, shall we all stand, please? We're going to be reading in First, cha- uh, first Corinthians chapter 2, but we're going to pray first, and then I'll have you take a seat. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, again for what you do, how you are the only God. You even say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. We believe that. And we praise you and thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, Father. And as we study this passage, this is the very passage in the totality of Scripture where Paul declares the main thing for us to preach, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But Lord, we do ask that you open up our understanding of your holy word. And Father, we also ask that you would reveal yourself to each of us that's listening, whether on-site or online. Father, that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Please comfort our hearts, encourage us, equip us. For we ask, we beg, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So as I open here, I do want to say it's interesting to study and to know a little bit about Paul's backstory here before we get into chapter 2. His backstory prior to coming to Corinth, he was in a city in Greece called Athens. And he preached his famous message on Mars Hill. Uh, And when you study the art of preaching... You can study a topic called homiletics, the art and study of preaching. You most definitely will study that passage, and we'll get to it in a little bit. You'll study Paul's message on Mars Hill, where Paul gives this brilliant oratory. He gives a great message, this wonderful message that he preaches there. He addresses the Athenians with, let's just say, excellent speech in ways that they most likely were used to, Because at that time, they were used to hearing from philosophers. They were used to great oratory, great public speakers even. They look at a guy like Paul like, ooh, okay, he needs some help there. Paul had a brilliant delivery. And he even quotes an ancient poem, a poet. I'm going to display this guy. He quotes an ancient poet and philosopher, a guy named... Epimenides, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right, I can't get his name right, Ep- Epimenides. <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the Epimenides sleep? Some of you guys may have heard of that. It's an ancient term, that's why you see statues of him, his eyes are closed, like, is that guy sleeping? Yeah, that's how they depict him. <laughs> so Paul quoted this great poet, Epimenides, who wrote, they fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one, Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies, but you are not dead. You live and abide forever. And this line I highlighted here, for in you we live and move and have our being. 
So this guy, this poet, wrote that. And then Acts 17, verse 28, so I'm referring to here in Paul's backstory, and it's here on the screen, on the display, Paul writes, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So when you study Paul's message on Mars Hill, there's a few extremely important things that we need to discover. Number one, Paul never preached the name Jesus Christ. That might be surprising for some, because you actually study this when you study homiletics, the art and study of biblical preaching. You'll study, certainly, Acts 17, Paul's message on Mars Hill. But he never preaches the name Jesus Christ. He also never preaches the cross. Like, what? That doesn't sound like Paul. He never mentions the cross. In other words, you might say, literally, that Paul never preached the gospel. And yet, that's considered by many to be his best sermon, best message encapsulated in totality in Scripture. Many people quote that as, that's my favorite that Paul preached. You'll find that again in the book of Acts in chapter 17. But it seems that Paul didn't preach the gospel at Athens. Now, some might even argue and say that his message couldn't get anyone saved because he didn't preach the gospel, so to speak. What he did do is provide the background and the context whereby which one may go and preach the gospel, the good news of salvation. But the gospel message itself was not preached when you read and study Acts chapter 17. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because, again, it's interesting to study Paul's backstory right before getting to Corinth and right before we read chapter 2 in the book called 1 Corinthians. By the way, later in this letter that we call 1 Corinthians, I'm going to display it on the screen, in chapter 15 in this book, before it closes, Paul actually writes in some of the basic elements of what's known as the clearest example of the gospel. You'll find it. So if you ask, like, what is the gospel? Many people will cite 1 Corinthians 15. It at least contains some of the elements. And here's what it says, and you can read this on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so at the end of Paul's message on Mars Hill, uh, one more slide to show you here. It's just the backstory here. At the end of Paul's message on Mars Hill, he alludes to the resurrection of Jesus. He never mentions the name Jesus, but he alludes to the resurrection of Jesus. And their response is recorded. We're going to look at this and read it in Acts 17, verse 32. It says on the display even, or if you're taking notes, Acts 17 and into chapter 18. But here's what we read. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And then into the very next verse, which is in the very next chapter, Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to where? Corinth. This is the book that we're reading and studying. So while he may have wowed the people who were into philosophy in this message on Mars Hill... And although he may have sounded cool and what we might say today culturally relevant, some say Paul may have 
made a revision to his presentation and his preaching at this point. Because after chapter 18 in the book of Acts, you go into chapter 18, now he's in a different city in a different place. We can only speculate. But do notice that after Paul's message on Mars Hill, Acts 18, what, verse 1 again says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to where? And went to Corinth. So now we pick up in chapter 2 in our book here, 1 Corinthians. Let's read this in chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellent or excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right, again, it's interesting to see how Paul writes this when we study the context and we look at Paul's background a little bit. Because prior to this, he was in what city? Athens, preaching to the Athenians. Never mentions the name Jesus Christ. Never mentions his work on the cross. He doesn't mention the cross. Does mention repentance. So it provides a background, a little bit of context. And the, the people, some of them scoffed and mocked. Resurrection of the dead. Ah, I'm out of here. They wanted to hear things like philosophy. Now this is interesting because for each and every one of us, certainly you and I are not the Apostle Paul, but for every single one of us born-again Christians, we need to evangelize. We need to preach the good news, the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus. We need to teach one another. You need to share the scriptures, amen? So we must learn, like, how did the Apostle Paul do it? How do the scriptures show that others did it? And is there room for even someone like Paul, a speculation, is there room for even someone like Paul to kind of up the notch a little bit? To learn as you go. Yes, this might give you hope. Again, because Acts chapter 17, Paul's message on Mars Hill is studied by many, including this very day perhaps, many people around the globe that are studying on how to preach. The, the topic is homiletics. The art and study of biblical preaching. They'll certainly study Acts 17, Paul's message on Mars Hill. But again, he never mentions the name Jesus Christ and he never mentions the cross. So between the regular people at Corinth and the philosophers at Athens, Paul seems to change up his message a bit. Again, it's speculation. However, we've got our Bibles, and when you look at the timeline and you study not just the text, the context. You see, after leaving Athens, and perhaps some believe, but what do they believe in? They needed follow-up. Definitely. If that's all they heard, they could not believe and become born again. Go back and read Acts chapter 17. You've got to know that you are a sinner, and Christ Jesus is your Savior who died on the cross. And then repent. Okay? So he provides some of the context. Not enough to get someone born again. And notice this in verse 1, where he actually literally writes, says this. He writes, he, quote, did not come to Corinth quote, with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Now, when we look at the context of where he just left, and what city was that again? Athens, Greece. And now he goes right after that, Acts, 17, or Acts 18, verse 1. He left and went to Corinth. Look at the context and what was probably still in his head and in his heart. Maybe, again, it's just speculation. Maybe he's like you and me. 
ah, I need to get a little better at what I'm saying. And yes, I need to meet people where they're at. Remember, he starts off his speech, his preaching to them. Uh, You know, I went through the city. I noticed you're very religious. I'm paraphrasing it. In Acts 17. And I see you have this statue to an unknown God. And this one I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to present to you. That's what I want to share and say about. You read that like, brilliant. Wow. This guy is awesome. He's great. And we start to say in ministry, when you're ministering to people, start with where they're at. Meet them where they're at. And that's good as a principle. But you must continue on from there. So what he never got to, maybe it was just cut off in Acts 17. He never got to mention the name Jesus Christ. He never got to mention the cross. And you got to mention these things. So now we come to chapter 2 in this book, in the next city, where after being there, he's mentioning to them about his visit there. Again, chapter 2, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Hey, you know what I think when I study the life and the ministry and the context of the Apostle Paul? I think of where he just left. Acts 17, he did come and preach to the Athenians with much excellence of speech. That's why we study that and go, brilliant! I want to pray that I can preach like that. I want to be like that. Use this brilliant brain start with where they're at he you guys are really religious you got all these statues there's some kind of a saying that went on that you'd be able to go to that place and there were more gods than men because everybody has some statue and he uses that as a starting point in his brilliant preaching acts chapter 17 paul's message on mars hill but paul seems to perhaps change up his message once he gets to the city called corinth He writes in verse 1 again, he did not come to Corinth with excellence of speech or wisdom. Perhaps he saw that the outcome wasn't good enough. Maybe he's like you and me. You start and you practice, right? You practice and practice and pray. And like, oh God, come on, help me, come on. And if you're like me, sometimes you say something. And there's many many Sundays too, I'll I'll be tired after you say it. Even me, after being here 22 years, I'll drive home, my wife like, Did that even make sense? I'm so tired. I can't remember a thing I said. Sometimes my wife, you praise God for my wife. She's like, no, you repeated yourself a couple times. Like, okay. (laughs) And I'll do that. I was like, okay, sorry. Give me grace if you would. So sometimes, maybe it's like Paul. You know, he's not Jesus. Perhaps he was kind of up in the game a little bit. Perhaps he's changing his message a bit. Because now he comes to Corinth and he's not using excellence of speech. He's not using wisdom. Remember, the philosophers, these are people that they love wisdom. They love great oratory. They love the presentation. There's nothing wrong with you saying the same message and switching it up to a different audience as long as you keep the biblical principles the same. Amen? But perhaps he's like you and me where now he gets to a different city. Now he gets to the next step in his walk, his life, his ministry with God. And he's like, Okay, I think I was relying too much on being a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. And if that's where you're at, like I am many times, where I just got to sit there and go, God, help me to rely on your power, not my intellectual capabilities. Anybody else guilty of that? Then maybe you can identify with Paul. Perhaps, like I said, it's just speculation. I read up quite a bit about this, and there are many that kind of 
lean towards that as well. But in Athens, Paul's message on Mars Hill was all excellence of speech and human wisdom. That's Again, that's one of the reasons why when you're studying homiletics, the art of and study of biblical preaching, you most definitely will study Acts 17. Because besides Jesus, you're like, what are some good examples in the New Testament? Certainly you're going to study how Paul preached. So Paul's message on Mars Hill was all excellence of speech. It was all human wisdom. And then down to verse 4. We'll get to that in a bit. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He writes that his speech and his preaching at Corinth were, quote, not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Think about that. He was just in another city, the city right before this, where he was trying to persuade them with what? Human wisdom. Why? That's how the philosophers did it. I can't blame him because I probably would do that as well. But just like Paul, just like me, maybe you're also in the same place where you sit there and go, I'm going to take a step of faith because I ain't going to be perfect. You just take an imperfect step and allow God, especially through the Spirit, to clean up things, right? He does a cleanup work, right? So how many times have you and I shared something? Maybe you shared the scriptures like, I can't believe I quoted the wrong book. Or I didn't have the right address in it. Or I didn't speak it in King Jimmy English or whatever you might be. Because you and I could be our own worst self-critics, right? Anybody else like that? You're your own worst critic. Be careful of that inner critic. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened because we don't know that. Again, it's speculation. Or perhaps Paul, because he's not like Jesus, perhaps Paul's just like you and me, a human that keeps learning as he goes and grows. But in Athens, Paul's message of Mars Hill was totally with persuasive words of human wisdom. That was expected when you're preaching there, the Areopagus, or Mars Hill as we call it. So some may go so far as to think that Paul may have even come to regret his message on Mars Hill. I won't necessarily go there. But others may think and say that, that he may have regretted his message on Mars Hill a bit. And again, that's only speculation. So the main message that Paul preached, look at verse 2. The main message that Paul preached when he got to the next city was not human wisdom, not reliance on self, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. By doing this, Paul tells us what he had to rely on and how it affected him. Look at this in verse 3 now. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. I was with you, notice he says, in weakness. Weakness can mean feebleness. He says, in fear. And he says, in much trembling. So weakness or feebleness. Paul was likely in weakness while ministering because when you must rely on the power of God, you can't rely upon your intellectual discernment or wisdom, can you? You're fully surrendered to God. And now you can understand someone like Paul, perhaps, with all that education, all that learnedness. He knew Torah. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to his own kind of statements about himself. He goes to a place like the Areopagus, Mars Hill. Imagine a crowd gathering. They threw him up there. Tell us! They're like, oh, what do I say? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, remember that statue you got to an unknown God. He's the one I revealed to. He's the one I'm going to preach. And pray to him. Ooh, I got them. 
And maybe that's something that kind of tickled his pride. These are the things that we've got to be careful of. I'm not saying that that's exactly what happened, but I do know that Paul is just like you and I, a broken person that God's Spirit must come into, redeem us, recycle us, and that we need to learn and grow as we go. Amen? Feebleness, weakness. You've got to rely upon God's power. Now, when you rely upon God's power and not your own power, not your own strength, you are very aware of your own weakness, aren't you? Who here knows that? You know what that's called? Ministry. It's one reason why God wants you to get out of the boat, take a step of faith, go and do something, stop worshiping self. Why? Because now you must rely upon God's strength. And in order to truly serve Him, that living water that comes from him upon into and works through you, pours through you out of your heart like living water, you are fully dependent upon, you are surrendered to the work of his spirit. And if the flow ain't going, it ain't going. And you can't work it up in the flesh. You can't just pray and fast and then the spout in heaven turns on. Come on, pour it on, God. You gotta be surrendered to him. And if he wants to empower you, when he wants to, he will. So I can imagine now, he comes to a city, maybe being greatly convicted now. Oh man, these people over here in Corinth, they're way worldly, just like over in Athens. Worldly in a slightly different way, but yet it's still your grace. It's still a work of your spirit. It's still a work of your power. And yet, I can't rely upon anything of who I am and what I've done. All I know is I can make mistakes. <laughs> but we thank you for your perfection, God. You want to use an imperfect vessel, an imperfect human being like me. So I can comprehend that a bit. That when he comes now to them, he says, verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul was in fear. The word can mean terror or even panic flight. Now panic flight is very different from, oh, he's just a little afraid. Panic flight, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. What am I going to (laughs) do? I was in panic flight. So when you're with a new group of people in a new area like that, I can imagine, like, I want to get out of here. It's a little scary here. (laughs) I got to rely on your strength and all the what ifs go on, right? What if you didn't call me to be here? What if you don't want me to say this? What if you don't want me to quote that? You know, you you can what if yourself to death. Anybody else like that? I can get like, especially if you're, the more analytical you are, the more self-analyzing you do. And you kind of can take yourself out of the game. Careful of that. So when you're with a group of people and you must rely upon God, you must trust in God. So I can see how he's not just there in weakness because he knows how, he's aware of how weak he is and yet must tap into God's strength. I can see how he might be there in fear. However, you and I might need to do this. We must, let me just say. You must develop more of a fear of God than a fear of people. Amen? Have a fear of God more than a fear of people. And you'll be okay. Just rely upon His grace, His strength. Don't focus on your flesh. Your flesh will have you focus on your weakness. Right? How many of you guys are like how I can get it sometimes? Like, oh, but I'm not good at speaking. Or, but, the, you know, but this, but that. And God will still tell you, Go. What are you doing? Go. I said, go. Well, well, but let's talk, God. I know you're perfect, but I think you made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. No, but you did make a mistake. You chose me. No. 
He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how to grow you and mature you. He's your heavenly dad, heavenly father. And he loves you. He was in fear, like a panic flight. And he also says much trembling. I want to display this one for you. I just made a copy of my Bible study software here. Much trembling. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Here's what Thayer says about this. You see it circled here in the red on the display for this word trembling. With fear and trembling used to describe the anxiety. Do you ever have anxiety when God's wanting you to share with someone? That's what Paul's saying here. To describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. I read that and I'm like, dude, that's totally Paul here. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. I am so aware of my insufficiency, my inadequacy, my my stupidity, everything. And yet, you want to use me to share a perfect message, a perfect savior? using perfect scripture, everything's perfect in the equation of how God wants to use you. And when you add that equation, when you, you add yourself to that equation, you're, only, you're the only imperfect piece of that equation. And you might take yourself out of it going, okay, God, you, you failed, you made a mistake. I know you're perfect, but let me get an education first. Well, let me learn how to study. Let me study Paul's preachings. <laughs> let me study this. Let me do this. God's like, no, I want you to go now. I want you to speak now. No, you rely too much on you. I'm trying to get you to rely on me. You're weak, I'm strong. And the only way for you to learn that is not in a book, but through your walk. You guys know that, right? So you've got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving who? Deceiving yourself, James writes. So he's with them, he says, in much trembling, and notice this in verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Oh, okay, this makes sense now. So we learn that Paul's preaching was a demonstration of God's Spirit and God's power. Now when you're reading this, you start breaking this down of what Paul's actually saying, not of what he wants to do, but how he did it, you realize Paul is basically saying the same thing that you and I need to trust in. The same way that you would preach and share. The same way that you would walk out your preaching, your message. Because people will trust your feet more than your mouth. Anybody know that? You must, you must, you must rely upon God and God's power. Now why would Paul predominantly preach Jesus Christ and him crucified? We're going to see this in the next verse. Let's read verse 5. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. I love that. I looked up the original word for power. Guess what Greek word that is? Dunamis. Remember that from Acts chapter 1 we studied that? Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus said, not many days from now, you shall receive what? Dunamis. Translated in your Bibles as power. Power that comes from the Father. You would receive this power. His power. Not to do what you want to do, not to do your will, to do the will of God. Why do you need God's power? To obey God. To do what he's asking you to do. You might call that ministry. Serving him. 
You cannot do it in your strength. You must rely on his spiritual gifting. You must rely on his power. So Paul preached this. This was predominant message, not in Athens, but in this next city he's in, the one in which he writes this book to, 1 Corinthians. He would preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Verse 5. So that their faith wouldn't be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think he learned as he went, just like you and me. Because he just came from a city, preaching to the Athenians. He knew that was a place that was known. In antiquity, we know that that was a place that was known as having philosophers and people with great oratory skills. Well, Paul probably stepped up the game. He's like, I'm playing the big knees now, buddy, and I, I better learn how to preach and, and say it like they want to hear it. And then later on, he's realizing, perhaps, it's just speculation, perhaps he's realizing that's not the key. The key is to point to the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about who and what. Who? Jesus Christ. What? The work that he did. It's not about me and my great oratory skills. Because for me personally, even, I don't have. And it's not about my work. Now, we've got to be careful of this today. There's many reasons. And one reason why I do want to say at this juncture, this point, that I'm even reminded, and I've been here 22 years now, I'm reminded throughout the many years I've been here, including today, that I'm guilty of this. I think many of us that teach and preach and exhort and share the scriptures, I think there can be a, a reliance, a dependence, not upon surrendering to the Spirit of God, but upon my learnedness, or, oh, I'm so good in, in breaking down a three-point sermon or whatever it is. And then we start bringing the people not to following Jesus, but to following who? Self. See how easily pride can slip in. But I love how the Apostle Paul doesn't allow that here. I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's extremely important for many reasons. I'm going to display some of this to you here. We're going to wind down and close in just a bit. Just thinking of some. I'm sure you can come up with more. If you know some later on, let me know. So here's some reasons why you and I must preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The first one is right there out of verse 5. He tells us the why. So that your faith, now the recipient audience, and including you, the speaker, the preacher, the teacher, the sharer, so that you would have faith in the power of God. And I do want to say at this junction, well, first of all, let me preface this by asking you a question with a show of hands. Who knows that God is wanting you to share, to evangelize, to preach or teach, to exhort? Lift up your hands if you would. Look around the room. Okay, Some of you guys know that. Okay, More than half of you guys. Statistically, that's typically how it would be, if not all of us. Now, not only do your recipient audience, whether it's one or a multitude, need to trust in the power of God, but can I say at this juncture, so do you. So do you. And some of you are maybe too afraid to step out of the boat, so to speak. Remember when Jesus told Peter, come. Lord, if that's you, ask me to come to you. Jesus says one word, come. Take a step out of the boat. And Peter's probably like, uh, I didn't think he'd really say that. <laughs> so he stepped out 
other boat stepped onto the water. Think about this. You, when you're sharing, for those of you that know that God's wanting you to share, the only way that you are going to know how to tap into the power of God is you also have to take a step of faith, don't you? And you probably don't have to look very far. In other words, ask God for the strength, but also the open doors, the opportunities, and he'll bring them to you. Chances are you already know people right now. You're just, no, someone else, God. <laughs> Not that, pr- oh, do, do you know what they did to me? I'm still waiting for them to apologize. And God's spirit might tell you, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. But still, my rights, I deserve. <laughs> that might be the case. But God still wants you to share. So you need to take a step out of the boat. You need to take a step of faith. Not only does your recipient audience need to have a faith in God's power, but unless you take that first step, they're never going to know of God's power through you. And many of us might be too scared to take that first step. I'll, I'll follow someone else's lead and take the first step. No, but you've got to take that step of faith. You may not want to hear it. You're like, can I take, I, I raised my hand, can I take that back? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand necessarily in here with me or with us, but with the Lord. Some of you know that he's wanting you to share. And perhaps it's with people you already know. But what if they don't accept me? But what if I say the name Jesus and they run? Or I mention the resurrection and like they did with Paul at Athens, they scoff, they mock. There's always going to be mockers. There's always going to be scoffers. But he wants to test your faith so that he can grow your faith. So that as you believe in the power of God, because you have to experience the power of God, second, then your audience will be able to tap into the power of God. So then your message, once you take that step of faith and simply share the scriptures or share with the things that God is telling you to tell people, second is then they'll know the power of God. Right? You share, you're going to learn the power of God as you grow. You can't take a class for that. You can't just read a book. You have to apply the book, amen? And as you share, you're going to tap into the power of God. So also when you preach just Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it's going to point people to Jesus and His work. Again, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Anybody here read or study the book of Hebrews? That's a great, if you take a step back and you have a bird's eye view looking at it, one of the main things that the writer does, doctrine after doctrine, chapter after chapter, till like chapter 9, about half of the book, it's all doctrine. And was he going on presenting to the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, presenting the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The person Jesus, much greater than the angels, Moses, Abraham, everybody that went before, you know, the readers. Everybody in all of antiquity. Jesus Christ, so the person, he's much greater than. And his work. It's one of the books of grace. So you need to learn the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You'll find that greatly. I remember studying Hebrews like, wow, it's all about Jesus Christ and then crucified. The first nine and a half chapters, it's just a great illustration of what Paul is preaching here. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like, I get it now. <laughs> I need to walk in that strength though. So it points people to Jesus and his work. 
It's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not you as a person. Now there's good hope, good news in that. What is that? The fact of the matter is in your preaching, in your sharing scripture, in your loving people, exhorting them and pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that means it takes you off the hook. That means you don't have to develop great oratory skills. When I started, I, I would stutter. And, and guess what? A lot of that self-focused stuff, it's a ploy of the flesh, gets you to focus on self. But I can't speak to people. It's my flesh. I, I stutter. I say the wrong things. I say stupid things all the time. And I'm glad God didn't listen to any of that. It's like, oh, you've got a good idea there. Like, yes, you, you do not speak well. Let me get someone else. <laughs> if so, I never would have moved here. I never would have met any of you. I wouldn't be married to Susan. Josh and Christina wouldn't be our children. Would not have met any of you guys. This church plan, if God wanted to happen to be someone else, I wouldn't have met you guys. So I had to work things out with God. Praise God that I did. That he did. Empowered me. So understand the, the work of your flesh. The flesh is going to point you to who? The Spirit's going to point you to who? Jesus. Basic understanding. If you understand that, then you'll know when you are taking yourself out of the game. Oh, you can't use me because of this, that, and the other. And the Spirit of God is just going to point you to Jesus Christ and then crucified. He doesn't care about who you were. He died for who you were because he knows what he wants to make you to be. You were a sinner, saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, having faith in Him. But He, praise God, He ain't going to leave you like you were. He's continuing to conform you to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So when you preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it's going to point to Jesus, not yourself. You're off the hook, so to speak. That means the pressure's not on you. Guess who the pressure's on then? Jesus, the one that's going to pull through. So you need to know that in your preaching. And you're evangelizing, and you're sharing, and you're teaching. Point people to Jesus, not yourself. And that means anybody could be a preacher. Think about that. That means anybody could share the scriptures. Anybody could evangelize. Any Christian would say. So you need to point people to Jesus, not yourself. Like, oh, let's wait until I develop a longevity of time. After 10 years, and then I can share. Or after I go to seminary. Or after I graduate from this college. Or after I... You and I all have those things. That's your flesh telling you. And yet Jesus will still say what? Two words. Follow me. He'll still tell you, right? Well, just never mind that. Do this. Focus on this. I like that. It's like parenting. You have a kid that's like, ah, they grab something. I want cookie or whatever it is. You guys know this. You don't even have to be a parent to understand this. You just distract them, point them to something else. You show them something else. Oh. <laughs> Does that work, parents? It work. Isn't that interesting? Maybe God's trying to show you and I. He does the same thing with us. We're like tantruming over some silly thing that means nothing in eternity. And he, he doesn't even bother with that. He doesn't even solve a lot of that. It's like, do this. And then what happens? You've got to repent from that, and now you're moving forward with him. Is that the way God works? Yes. So you're going to point people to Jesus and his work, just like he's trying to do with you, even as you share. It's experiential learning. You're also going to make disciples of Jesus. So people 
are going to be taught to hear from Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that. I remember in my Bible college years, there was a, a sister that was there, and she didn't reveal this to me at the time, the years that we were going to Bible college, and then I started to teach on staff there, but only by the grace of God. And I remember her saying afterwards, there was t- two sisters that were always there. Uh, they're like bookends. <laughs> and they're just always there in the classes I would teach. And later on, she told me, she says, we, you know, her and her sister that would go through the college, she says, we should be so mad at you. She says, I used to be so mad at you. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know. She didn't tell me until later on. Because every time I had a Bible question, you would tell me things like, what does the Bible say? Or did you pray? Or what did God tell you? Like, I didn't want another question. I wanted to know. I wanted you to tell me. And then later on, years afterwards, she, she, her testimony was, I'm glad you didn't tell me that. I just learned that from guys like Bob Hoekstra and what Paul's saying here. The answer to everything is Jesus Christ and them crucified. That might sound like a shock to some of you. Well, that's it. You got a question? Okay, go see Jesus. You still got questions? I'm here to help. But I can't pray your prayers for you. What does God want me to do in this situation? I don't know. Did you read your Bible? No, I want you to tell me. Now, how many of you know you have people in your life right now, they don't want to read the Bible. They want to hear it from you. Give me the Google, the quick solution, right? Siri, you know, now the thing's going to turn on, right? That's kind of how it is. You got to understand the day and the age and the culture we live in, people want a quick solution. But God's Spirit is telling you, you are not the solution. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is. How does that apply for everything? Well, here's one thing. Someone's not saved. You preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified to them. They want godly wisdom. They ain't going to get it, are they? They can't comprehend. The, the natural man cannot discern the spiritual things of God. They read the Bible like, this makes no sense. Why don't you just tell me? So preach Jesus Christ to them. Jesus is the Messiah. And he died on the cross for your sins. Help them to get saved. And all of a sudden, God's wisdom, because God himself comes to live and abide, reside, dwell within them. Oh, now your scriptures open up for me. I don't need you anymore. Exactly. Because you don't want followers. You want to pour into people so that they become followers. And we live in a culture, especially with social media. It's like, ooh, how many followers do I have? Who cares? (laughs) That's sad, but that's the reality. I mean, that's, I don't know if you guys know that this is very real in the culture that we live in now. There are kids, youth and young adults, that will go so bonkers and they actually will think of and commit suicide simply because their posts maybe don't get shared as much as they did before or they get online bullying. Why? We touched upon that when we, we taught through. Remember the father said to Jesus, the son, after Jesus got baptized, you're my only begotten son whom I'm well pleased. Okay, so... You're my only son who I'm well pleased. So people, instead of having the acceptance, the approval from God, the Father, they'll look to online approval. It's a fake God. So those three reasons that we, we shared with you before, those are the same reasons. I study social mark or social media and online marketing, and I realize that's one reason why Facebook, Instagram, many of these big social media giants, they exist and proliferate, and it's so addictive. Why? Because we're not parenting people at home. And people aren't pointed to the Heavenly Father. So people gravitate towards that. Okay, so understand, that's a culture that we live in, and yet these biblical principles in God's word of truth 
still exist today. And yet Paul going to a, a, a place like Athens, a place of philosophers and mighty warriors in speech, he goes to a place like Corinth, very similar to New York City, or any big town in America for that matter. And what does he predominantly preach? Jesus Christ and him crucified. So think about that next time you're thinking, trying to take yourself out saying, I need to have a better education before I share. Look at all the education Paul had. And he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, half of the New Testament. He goes to Corinth, and then he's predominantly preaching what? Jesus Christ and him crucified, the person and the work of Jesus. Really the solution for everything. So you need to make disciples of Jesus. People are going to be taught to hear from Jesus and follow Jesus. So my friend, I think about that oftentimes because I spent a lot of time with that group of people in college, with them as a student and then pouring out to them and sharing with them. And then for someone to be like some years later tell me, I used to be so mad at you, her and her friend, because they come and they they want like a quick fix solution. They don't want to go home and spend like maybe a week praying. They want you to answer in five seconds. That's how the world is and that's the, the society that we live in today. So if someone comes to you and they know that you're a Bible boy, a Bible girl, and what is it that God wants for my life? How do I know what God's wanting me to do? And for you to tell them, I think you need to go home and read your Bible, pray to Jesus, and I'll pray for you. You can say it in five seconds, and they might turn around. Now how many of you told people as you point them to Jesus Christ and crucified? How many of you told them and then they, they go away upset? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you guys? I still do the same thing in the place where I work. I share with a guy who comes to me, Drew, what's the word for today? <laughs> Sweethearted guy. And after a while, I'm kind of like, I'll, now I'll preemptively go up to this person sometimes. What's God speaking to you about? Instead of waiting for, because he's wanting some quick fix solution. And I need to get in front of it to lead it. Like This guy needs to get saved first. And he needs to be turned to the Lord. And if I just say, go read your Bible, go read 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Jesus Christ and crucified, I think, whoosh, that means nothing. But if I try to turn on the light, so to speak, get his heart to be sensitive to the Spirit's work, what is God speaking to you about? And I'll see that the person turns away. Hmm. You're, you're causing that internal dialogue, hopefully, between them and God. And now the work of the Spirit, he's come to convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. You're turning on the light, as I call it. You're helping them. Or else they're going to go walk around this world, deaf, blind, and they're just going to come to you for the quick fix solution. And then when they don't need you, they feel like they don't need God anymore. They're not saved. They're just going to go away. And the next time they got a problem, they come to you. Instead of going to the psychic advisor, they'll go to you. And yet that's not God. He's not a genie in a bottle that you can run. So understand the work of God's spirit, that Jesus wants people to follow him. And the good thing about my friend is when she, she came later on to tell me that, it's like, oh, wow, you never know the things that you're doing. I didn't say it just because it was like, get out of my face, I don't have time. That wasn't the reason why. It's because we need to make disciples of Jesus, not of self, amen? And we've got to be careful today because we live in also a culture where if you have great oratory skills and you look good and dress up well and look good on camera and speak well for recording, then people kind of prop you up. And then all of a sudden it gets to people's heads. I think that can happen with any of us today. But if you're preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified, 
That's a level playing field. That means the baby Christian, the, the old Christian, wherever you are in between, it means every single one of us can share, right? And that's it. Jesus wants people that will listen to him, that will follow him, not you and I. So we're just there. Either we can point people to our best friend Jesus or we can get in the way. And I don't want to get in the way. We must not get in the way, amen? All right. And last but not least, God is pleased. Think about this. When you and I are doing things that are fully solid and biblically solid, like what Paul did in Corinth, I can't do what he did in Athens. You can read about that in Acts 17. That's, that's studied and looked at. And people slice and dice that and look it up and put all the principles together. Like, it won't get anybody saved. You have a lot of people like, brilliant, come back. We want to hear more. That's maybe how you could build a big following. But it's not going to lead to people getting eternally saved. I'd rather do like this. Well, I need to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? that your faith would be, verse 5, not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Let's continue to do that, amen? Let's all stand, please. We're going to close with a word of prayer and we can partake of communion. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that someone is brilliant like Paul. He went to Corinth. And Lord, this is something that we can mimic. Help us, Lord, as we go to our Corinth, so to speak, here in New York City, whether it's Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, or wherever you send us around the planet, God, all we need to do is point people to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the person and the work of Jesus. But Father, we need your empowerment. Please empower each of us so that whenever we do leave this place, this gathering, this fellowship, God, we can be empowered to go about the city as a missionary. We can go and share the good news of salvation through Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us and for them. You're the savior of the world, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You say in John 3, 16, God, you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Help us to point us and others to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Empower us for we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.